Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you, Mira, ma'am, for the kind introduction. So the theme of my paper is uh, Ramayana, and the title is Pollux Irresponsible versus Valmiki's Plausible Ramayana. And this, the objective is to examine the framework uh, Sheldon Pollock uses to criticize Ramayana, and then to challenge them uh, in the light of scientific, historical, and literary facts. So one of the things is that why should we have a Puro Paksha? And the reason is that the way these three objects are shown, it, anyone would conclude that all of them are circles. But if you try to look at it from different dimension, then these can be three different objects. So this is very important that inst instead of just relying on what Pollock is trying to say, we try to present or try to look at the, uh, look at the text. Am I, am I audible? Okay, so uh, this is what I have actually tried uh, to look at uh, the text from different angles and see whether it's true or not. What Pollock is claiming is true or not. So the outline is that I would try to one by one uh, look at the frameworks uh, Pollock uses because uh, it's all very interrelated and then actually kind of uh, put my point of view and then at last we'll conclude. So this is these are the uh, this is how Pollock's framework is based. So which is basically the chronology of the text, the free will of the characters, the Brahmin supremacy, uh, the divine demonic construct, and the Indian kingship. And if you see, they are very interrelated. So at some point, he will say that that uh, it's all because of the Brahmin supremacy that we have the demo divine demonic construct, and it's because of this that a divine king has absolute uh, rule over the state. And then he would also use the chronology to fit that how this text has been used uh, to control the masses or to, uh, to uh, enrage people uh, and be uh, more kind of outrageous to the people who have come from outside. And free will is something will, he will extensively use to belittle the characters and then compare them with the, with the Greek characters that you know, we have read about. So, and then uh, the crux will come that Ramayana is irresponsible. So, I have tried using uh, circles for Pollock's vision and what he's trying to say. So, he writes that the characters in Ramayana do not hold a position to do anything, and it's like everything in their life has been already decided, and there is no way that they can ever come out of it, and therefore justice never enters the picture. This is what his claim is is that everything is so mechanical and there is no way that people can move around uh, like the way they do it in Greek mythology. And so this is a, a very typical version of Ramayana that he seems to perceive. But free will is something very, 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 very important for, uh, in quantum physics where we study, quantum, where we study free will uh, and, and we are still trying to understand. So free will is something which we think we have it but we cannot define it. And in our daily life, we comprehend it as the power to make one's own choices. And why it is difficult to define free will is because it incorporates two opposite notions. One is freedom, and the other is control. So obviously, if you have freedom to do something, then whether you can really do that or not. And if you cannot do that, then you must have a control and see whether you have a higher ambition or you know, there is higher goal to do or not. So this is 
what free will looks from a philosophical perspective. And from a physics point of view, uh, we kind of understand free will as something which is very random, and it cannot be predicted, so it, which means that it cannot be fatalistic or deterministic. So that would mean that a drunkard who starts from some play, place would just make some random walks and end up just falling somewhere. Whether this entails freedom to him, or free will to him, like recent researches in quantum physics tell that uh, randomness and determinism both are both are incompatible with free will. So, in uh, and what the only possible solution to understand free will before we can use it to just to suit our object objective is to define free will relative to a theory without committing ourselves to the overall uh, or the, its ultimate na nature. And I will use this concept, which is meta-theory, to challenge Pollock's uh, argument that Rama is an exemplar of fatalistic thinking for Hindus. Uh, and in the Indian value system, uh, obedience towards one father is not understood as a lack of free will. Instead, it is taken as a uh, uh, as a token of respect. And in Valmiki Ramayana, the, ba the banishment was for Rama alone, and it is Sita who has exercised her free will to accompany uh, him to the forest. But Polak, again, you know, he just sidelines that, you know, any of the characters have the free will. And when the second time, when, he, when Sita chose not to return to her father, despite the injustice, Polak just sidelines it. It's very selective to prove his point. And now I'll define uh, free will from Kathopanishad. According to the Kathopanishad, human free will is described as the freedom to choose one of the given two-fold path, which is prayas, which is called as pleasurable, and the other is shreyas, which is good. In Rama's case, prayas would mean enjoying the rulership of Ayodhya, while shreyas was to follow his father's word. Rama has consistently chosen, chosen uh, Shreyas over prayers. And prayers doesn't mean that it is bad, but it leads to bondage, while shreyas leads to light. So there can be no, uh, uh, what you say, uh, judgment about Rama's free will because it is, in con it is opposite to what, or it is in not in sync with the Greek characters. And the second one is the construct of divinization and demonization. So Pollock asserts that the divine demonic construct was only to befit the Brahmins as the only way for divinization of a king is through the yagnas. He declares Valmiki as the supplier of this narrative and he blames that all of this is because of the Vedas and, and Ravana is, is, is personified as an evil force. And this is what he basically, he basically talks about that divine demonic construct is already embedded into the, into the Ramayana and he will always, and this is very, very uh, tactful of him because he will use this concept to tell that when the, when the Islamic invaders came, this part of, of uh, Ramayana has been recalled that the outsiders are demonic and we need to fight them. And this is the only way to arouse the kings and fight them. 
and he has completely sidelined the view of the traditional scholar, scholars that Ravana was a multifaceted genius. He was literally scholar, and he was also he himself was an exponent of Vedas, and a gift and a, and a gifted Veena Mastro. And even the text also says this uh, says about this in the Sundara Kanda. Valmiki explicitly writes that Hanumana heard uh, Vedic sounds early in the morning, and Rakshasas well versed in six parts of the Vedas and those who performed excellent sacrifices. So this is one way, uh, this is, I feel, is a strong point to make where he is blaming that a divine king uh, is, uh, uh, it, the, this demonization is as per the Vedas. And it's mentioned in Valmiki Ramayana, fifth chapter, uh, fifth kanda, 18th chapter, second verse. Uh, thereafter, it also talks about Ravanas being, uh, you know, interested in music and various auspicious instruments were used. And one more thing what uh, Pollock has sidelined is that uh, India is not a dead country, it's a living culture. And he has not even taken into account that what and how people uh, take Ravana into their life. And just like, just like Ram, uh, Rama, Ravana has also got dedicated temples for him. It's also mentioned in the uh, Alora Caves. And there is a place in Kanpur where devotees would be praying for Ravana's welfare. So as such, Ravana is not a personification of evil. And also there's a sect which regards Ravana as an intellectual and stresses that his positive side also must be highlighted. So in, to sum it all, Ravana is just an extraordinary talent who has gone awry, and it's not that he's, he should be blamed for everything that, has, that would have happened in the due course of time. Now I'll come to the Indian kingship. So Pollock asserts that all of these Dharma Shastras were not applicable to divine kings. It was only applicable to the mortal kings. And in this, in this case, mortal, uh, in this divine king, uh, king is Rama, and he can do whatever he wants, and this process of Vedic tradition will make him a despot. Whereas, uh, like, this is what he, he presents. Now I'll cite textual evidence to refute Sheldon Pollock's claim on the three, uh, three levels. First one is that the kingship, kingship of a mortal king, and that is mentioned in the Valmiki Ramayana. In, in Balakanda 7.1, uh, the truthful and the upright characters of the political ministers of Dashrata, a mortal king, are portrayed who makes the rulership meaningful with a virtuous, skillful, and efficient ad admiration. And the ministers for the great soul from Mikshavaku kings of Emperor Dashrata are epitomized ones of their tactfulness and are always obliged to, take care, uh, to undertake the welfare activities of the king. So this is something that a king was not a despot. He, he used to consult, like, you know, as uh, he has divided the kings into three categories, is the mortal, uh, divine, and demonic. And the next one is the kingship, kingship of a divine king. In Valmiki Ramayana, Rama adhered the principles of state admonition. In Ayodhya Kanda, Rama inquires of Bharata and instructs him to uh, instructs him on the finer points of art of administration. This is mentioned in 2.11217. This address highlights the duties of respons and responsibilities of a kingship, covering all aspects and the entire range of administration in which a king should attain proficiency if he is really concerned with the happiness and welfare of, of his subjects. Now I'll come to the kingship 
of a demonic king, which is Ravana in this case. So in the Yudhakanda, Ravana calls a meeting of his ministers and invites suggestions from them in view of the latest situation of a probable attack of Rama and his army on the city of Lanka. He emphasizes the importance of consultation with the ministers and requests him, them to arrive at a well-thought, thought-out, rightful action. So this proves that these, I think this textual evidence proves that there's a consistent view of the Indian kingship and Pollock's claim that a divine king does not have to abide by the rules of Dharma Shastra is on thin ice. Now uh, I'll uh, talk about Ramayana as an atrocity literature. This is actually very funny to read. It's like, as Sheldon Pollock claims that the is Islamic rulers took control of the temple and intended to honor the birthplace of Rama, whom the Hindus greatly worship. And this is what outraged the Hindus. He also argues that Hindu kings used Ramayana to arouse Hindus and demonize Muslim invaders from 12th to the 16th century. Now, I'll, I'll cite some literally evidence, evidences to refute Pollock's view. So Pollock is a very tactful guy. He, he will be very selective while, while writing his works. And he has actually there's a, uh, like, uh, completely ignored that it was just not for looting that the Islamic invaders came. They desecrated the temples. So it was, and this is not even mentioned, not even, not even talked about. So uh, I will cite some Islamic historians who are talking about what would have happened, what has happened in this course of time. And this is like uh, a, a bit, I have some time now. Okay, thanks. Seven minutes. Okay, okay. So this, is, this states that all the temples were desecrated and the uh, uh, and lot loots and plunders have happened, and this has been mentioned not in only one by one historian. It has been done by Tariqi Khan Jan Lodi and in Barsha Nama, and even in the script, uh, even in uh, uh, Sikh scriptures like Poti Janam Saki. And Guru Nanak was the contemporary of Babur, so he has accounted for whatever whatever loots and plunders have happened. And there are more than a dozen such literary records to prove that the Islamic invaders were not benevolent to the indigenous population. Their rule was nothing but barbaric, which witnessed the greatest destruction of Hindu temples, forcible conversions, and massacres in the Indian history. However, according to Sheldon Pollock, it is Ramayana and its embedded system which, was, which, is, which is responsible for the demonization of Islamic invaders, and, and their rule was not barbaric. So now if you see, he would, he would just present you one side, which is like, you know, Ramayana is irresponsible by selectively quoting things. And if you look into some other dimension, and if you look through the literary records, you will find that this is, this, this no way even is comparable to the things that, that you know, have happened in the history. What I, can, I would like to conclude is that I have never thought Ramayana as the, something socially oppressive or irresponsible. Instead, I thought the opposite is this is one thing which has united uh, us from north to south, from east to west, and we are all connected to each other through this. And I feel that it is very important to study Pollock's work in the light of new discoveries and new methodologies and the uni you know, unification of all like-minded scholars for this grand cause. There are more things I wanted to 
add, but I think we have sh short of time. So, you know. I think it would be instructive to deeply compare the structure of the Greek epic with Ramayana. Yeah. Okay. And if you also look at the Greek epic, for instance, the Iliad, yeah. uh, there also, clearly the characters who are doing the fighting have plenty of free will. Yeah. However, yeah. their fates are ultimately decided by the assembly of gods in Olympus, yeah, where yeah. Hera is on the side of the Trojans and the rest of them are on the side of the Greeks. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so the battle goes back and forth based on decisions taken there. So, yeah. in a, this free will is yeah. not directly a method, uh, an idea of people exerting their choice. Yeah, it is also exerting their choice and the influence of circumstances. Yeah. Okay. So I think if you took a more nuanced approach to this and actively compared the Greek and the Indian things, yeah. you will find yeah. lots of parallels which I think will buttress the case that, you know, free will is not free will in the modern post-industrial sense. Okay, okay. Sure. Thank you. To help me, you can do two things. You can go to the subscribe button on my YouTube and subscribe. We need more subscribers there. Uh, secondly, I get lots of emails on people saying, how do we donate? How can we help you? Uh, you go to rajimalhotra.com or you go to infinityfoundation.com and you can hit the donate button. You can donate in dollars. There are different ways mentioned. If you want to donate in rupees, there is a column called uh, Infinity Foundation India. And you click that and there are instructions on how you can donate in India.